0: What is art? Indeed, what makes for good art? The Kunsten Museum of Modern Art in Denmark recently gave Danish artist Jans Hanning $84,000. They gave him $84,000 in order for him to create a new piece of art. His work was going to be featured in a brand new exhibit at the museum entitled Work It Out. So they gave him $84,000 and they said, create a new piece of art that we want to exhibit in the museum. Here's what he created. Now, if that looks like a blank canvas to you, it's because it is. This is what the artist produced. Keep in mind, the museum gave him $84,000, said, create a new piece of art, and this is what he delivered. And you know what he entitled his piece of art? Take the money and run. True story. According to NBR, Hanning sent a large crate to the museum for the exhibit, yet when the staff members opened the box, they were surprised to find this, a blank canvas. In an email to NPR, the CEO of the museum said, I actually laughed as I saw it, adding that the museum suspected things might not go quite as planned. When Haning told him that he had created the new piece of art and gave it the title, Take the Money and Run. When questioned, Haning, the artist, said that he believes this piece of work is a legitimate piece of art. What about you? Do you agree with him? Again, let me ask you what is art? What is good art? There can be a lot of disagreement there, can't there? Because does it not, that question, what is good does it not seem very subjective? Well, you know what else seems very subjective? Indeed, you know it can garner a lot of disagreement, especially among married couples is this. What is appropriate or not appropriate to say or do in social settings? See if you can imagine this scenario with me. A married couple goes to a dinner party and everything seems to go great. Yet the moment they get in the car, The wife turns to the husband and begins to share with her husband all the things she perceived that he said and did that was wrong. Can you imagine it? The husband's driving, and as the wife is talking, he rolls his eyes and begins to justify and say, No, 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 you got it wrong. I didn't say anything wrong or inappropriate. The wife is incredulous, she doubles down it begins to go on no no what you said that was that was not the right thing to say and and they have a long argument the entire car ride home can you imagine that scenario have you ever been in that scenario <laughs> the disagreement is really over what does it mean to be dignified What is it appropriate to say or not say? What is the appropriate behavior to have? And honestly, I mean, what married couple has not experienced that car ride home, right? This is an argument that couples have been dealing with since the beginning of time. Indeed, in our text this morning, our text this morning proves this very point. For you know what we find in 2 Samuel chapter 6? we find King David and his wife, Michael, arguing. And you know what they're arguing about? What is appropriate behavior or inappropriate behavior in a social setting? They're having a disagreement as to what it means to be dignified. In fact, go ahead and turn within your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6 is the passage we're going to be jumping into this morning. That's page 259 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. And as you're turning there, let me give you the context. For the past several months, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. And last week, we studied 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 6, which record uh, David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of of Jerusalem, and as First and Second Samuel make really clear, as well as the rest of the Bible, the Ark—the Ark of the Covenant—was really the focal point of God's actual presence among His people. And you'll recall that last week we learned this really important truth that the narrative illustrated this important truth, and that is, fellowship with God requires a sacrifice. Fellowship with God requires a sacrifice. Remember this? Because of our sin, we are like a rag doll that has been soaked in gasoline and God is a consuming fire. This means that left to ourselves, we will be consumed by God's judgment. And the death of Uzzah in the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 6, reminds us of just how dangerous God's holiness really is. Yet David was able to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and for he and the people to have fellowship with God. And how was that possible? It was only possible through a sacrifice. The first time David attempted to bring the Ark into Jerusalem, it ended in a disaster. Remember, the Ark tipped over, Uzzah put his hand on the Ark, and what happened to him? He died, but not the second time. The second time it brought into Jerusalem and everybody rejoiced and they have fellowship with God. What's the difference? The difference is a sacrifice. The second time around, we see David wearing a priestly ephod and he's making sacrifices to the Lord. Indeed, the journey of the ark the second time, it begins with a sacrifice and then when they arrive, it ends with a sacrifice. And this text is wonderfully illustrating our God is holy. He is dominant. He is dangerous in His holiness and we ought not to think that we can just skip right up into His presence and give Him a high five. We would be consumed in judgment because of our sin. This is why we need a sacrifice. And this is what the Old Testament is pointing to constantly and that Ultimately, that, that need for a sacrifice finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our passage this morning picks up with that final sacrifice. And as we're about to see here in the latter half of 2 Samuel 6, everyone, everyone in Israel with the ark coming in and fellowship with God, everyone in this chapter is happy and elated. Everyone except David's wife, Michael. She is not happy. She's angry. And you know what she's angry about? Her husband's behavior, the way he's handling himself in a large social setting. So let's enter into their car as they drive home, okay? And let's see what happens. And I want to argue, friend, that in the text we're about to study, we not not only see the key and the answer to know what it truly means to be dignified in behavior, but also we learn in this text an important truth that can solve so many of the conflicts we experience in our marriages. And not only that, we're going to see in this chapter a really important truth that sets the stage for what is arguably one of the most important chapters in all the Bible, and that's 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's page 259 in that paperback Bible in the seat in front of you. If you need a Bible, I encourage you to grab one. And follow along in your copy of God's word as I read 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 16 through 23. Hear now the Word of the Lord. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window, And saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. He's making sacrifices. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house." So David's dancing and celebrating before the Lord. They're having fellowship with the Lord. His presence is among them. Everyone's happy, except Michael. She looks out and she sees how her husband is acting, and the text says she despises him in her heart. And now this is the car ride home. Look at what we see in the next verse, verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. I don't know if you could pick this up. She's being sarcastic. That word for honor, some of your translations have dignified. Oh, how the king has dignified himself today, dancing like that in front of the presence of the Lord. And notice David's response. Verse 21. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord. David's concern, David's audience, is not those around him, but the Lord. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before who? The Lord. Verse 22, he says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes. He's saying, my concern is with God, and I'm going to worship Him as is pleasing to Him. He's like, and I'll go even lower. But by my female servants, of movie you have spoken, this is the people of Israel, by them I shall be held in honor. He's saying, when they see me worshiping the Lord, they will see that as an honorable thing. And then we get this final statement about Michael, verse twenty-three, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. In C. S. Lewis's book, The Lying, the Witch in the Wardrobe, Mr. Tumness ask Lucy a question the first time they meet. They actually, actually ask a couple of questions. But he asks her one really important question. Do you remember what it was? He asks her if she's a daughter of who? Eve. Eve, right? In fact, throughout the book, Lucy is referred to as a daughter of Eve. And that's to signify something very important, and that is, that Lucy, in this story, she belongs to the human race, right? Well, notice how Michael, King David's wife, is described in the passage I just read. She's referred to as the daughter of who? Indeed, she's referred to the daughter of Saul no less than three times in this short section. Did you catch that? That's not by mistake. That's very intentional. And you know why? Because the author wants to remind us that this woman, who is the wife of David, she belongs from the house of Saul. And notice what we learn about her. Just like her father of old, Michael, the daughter of Saul, just like Saul, was concerned with outward appearances and the praise of men. I mean, is this not the thrust of Michael's complaints to David in verse 20? Have your eyes fall there again. As I mentioned, Michael is being sarcastic. She is saying, David, oh, David, you have not acted in a way that suits a king. You've not acted with the dignity or honor of a king. You've not acted in a way that's consistent with the weight of your position. She's like, your joyful dancing is inappropriate. In fact, according to Michael, the most grievous thing David has done was to remove, please hear me, his kingly garments. This is what she's getting at when she talks about him uncovering himself. It's not that David is naked or that he's in his underwear. No, what she's upset is that he has removed his kingly outfit Kingly apparel that, please listen to me, signifies his high status in Israel. And David, get a look of this. The king of Israel, he took off the, you know, clothes to make the man, right? He takes off the clothes that give him all the honor in the world there in Israel. He removes that so as to worship the Lord. And Michael's like, shame on you. How undignified. And David, you do it in front of the servant girls. However, David did not think the servant girls were his primary audience, did he? Indeed, not only does David have a different view of his audience, but what I want you to see in this text is that David has a radically different view of dignity. And you know what it is for David, what that radical view is? What he thinks is dignity? Humility. I love what Dale Ralph Davis writes. He says this. He says, David does not see himself so much as Israel's king, but as the Lord's servant. And humility is appropriate for servants. And then he says this. For David, humility is dignity. To him, there's nothing servile about groveling before the Lord, before God. And Faith, I want to argue that in this passage, we learn this very important truth, and that's what Davis directs our attention to, and that's simply this. I believe this text illustrates that humility is dignity. Humility is dignity. Look, like with modern art, couples can have arguments and disagreements about what it means to be appropriate and dignified in social settings. Yet here in this small exchange between David and his wife, Michael, we learn that the most dignified way you can live your life is to walk in humility. This is to say rejecting pride and adopting a humble spirit is the most dignified way to live one's life. David, in this passage, I'm going to argue, exemplifies true humility. Whereas pride is relentless concentration on the self. Prideful people are self-absorbed people. They're constantly thinking about themselves, and they're constantly thinking about themselves in one of two ways. Either A, I'm better than someone, or B, I'm worse than someone. Both are an expression of pride. Now, we're more familiar with the the pride where you're arrogant and you're boastful, but self-pity is just as prideful, where you suck your thumb and you feel bad about yourself that you're not as good as someone else. Pride is relentless concentration on the self. That's Michael, as I'm about to show you in a moment. David, on the other hand, has a laser-like focus not on himself, but on the God whom he worships. In fact, he has such In awe and admiration of God, that he forgets about himself. He's free. He's not bound and shackled by the opinions of others. He's not concerned about his own glory and reputation. Why? It's not because he's careless. It's not because he's foolish, it's not because he's stupid, it's but because he's lost himself in something greater than himself, God. That's the heart of humility. What's the phrase? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You're not consumed about you, rather. You're consumed with God, His glory, His majesty, His purposes, and what He requires of you, Christian. And I want to argue that in this text, we get a street-level view that I think would be so helpful. We leave some. We get excellent counsel from this text of what it looks like to adopt a spirit of humility and to live out humility in our lives. And there's two things I just want to draw your attention to, and that's this. We see that humility exalts two things. The first thing that humility exalts is God's honor above your own. Look again there at verse 22. David has says, I'm, I'm, I'm before the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant is right here. We're celebrating the presence of God. We're having fellowship with Him. My heart is overjoyed. I'm dancing. I'm singing. I'm praising. Michael's like, shameful. And David's like, you think that's humble? I'm going to humble myself even more. Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. He says, I'm not concerned about me. I'm concerned about God's honor. One of the many industries that was impacted by COVID was the wedding industry. Many couples this past year had to postpone or delay getting married due to various COVID restrictions. And we have several in our congregation that lived through that and experienced that firsthand. But now that things are are up and running, Lord, keep the lights on, please. Many couples are getting married, and they're getting married in very elaborate ways. Yet none of these extravagant weddings, I would argue, compares to the unique wedding that took place a couple years before COVID. The BBC reports that several years ago, an Italian woman married herself. That's right. At 40 years old, she decided, I'm going to marry myself. And she did so with a complete ceremony. White dress, three-layer cake, bridesmaids, And over 70 guests in attendance. Here's a picture of her cutting her wedding cake. Evidently, this is not a unique thing. In the United States, do you know there's a company, there's a company that offers self-wedding kits. In Canada, there's an agency called, and I quote, Marry Yourself Vancouver which does the same thing. When asked why she chose to marry herself, this Italian woman said this. She exclaimed, I firmly believe that each of us must first of all love ourselves. Her wedding ceremony was the pinnacle expression of self-love. Now, I know we kind of chuckle and laugh and we find it kind of odd that a woman would be so blatant in expressing self-love by marrying herself. But the truth is, many Christian couples get married for the exact same reason. What I mean is they get married not primarily because they love the other person, but because they love themselves. And a spouse fulfills a desire for their life. This is to say, think of it like this. Their spouse is an accessory to the wardrobe in their life in order to make them look good. And faith, that is precisely what we see with Michael. You know who Michael loves? Not God and not David. She loves herself. Indeed, her greatest concern is not the exaltation of God's honor, but her own. John Calvin said it best. Referring to Michael, Calvin makes this insightful observation. He says, in fact, she really cared nothing about the honor of her husband, but instead wanted to inflate her own importance, as though David held the crown because of her, so to speak. One sees many women like that in the world. They are very content for their husbands to be men of reputation and fame, and for them to be honored, but only in order to be more esteemed themselves. What I'm trying to to show you here, Faith, Michael was living for herself. And the disdain she had in her heart for David was because he's making me look bad. She's living for herself. Her greatest concern was the exaltation of herself. But notice, that's not David's greatest concern, is it? Because what do we see David saying there in verse 22? His greatest concern is not his honor, but God's. Indeed, as, as he gets at there in verse 22, David says he's willing to be even more humiliated in the world's eyes for God's honor. David is committed to living for God rather than himself, no matter how lowly that makes him look in the eyes of his wife or anyone else. And the most fascinating thing is Michael is alone in her perception the rest of Israel sees David's humility and dancing and worshiping in front of the Lord as a noble thing. Everyone else but her. And I think it's really appropriate for us just to pause for a moment and to ask ourselves, okay, humility is dignity. The best way in life is to adopt a humble spirit, to not be focused on myself but to instead get my eyes off of myself on the one who is worthy of my worship, God. I need to ask myself, what's my greatest concern? Let me ask you this. What's your greatest concern when you drive home from a social setting with your spouse? What's your greatest concern when you have conflict with your spouse? Are you more concerned that you look great or God. Friends, to value God's honor above your own means you choose to live for him in each and every situation rather than yourself because he's worthy of it. So let's just drill down here. I just want to talk for a moment of what this would look like practically, okay? Let's go back to the car ride home situation. So, you're at a dinner party, somebody says something. Let's just say the husband says something. And in the car ride home, both the husband and the wife can be tempted to live for themselves rather than Christ. They can be tempted to value their honor above God's. Let me show you how. For example, the wife could be tempted... To criticize and correct her husband, not for the benefit for his good, but so that, like Michael, she would look good being associated with him. Her words of correction could come from a desire for her to live for herself rather than Christ. In a similar way, the husband could be tempted to live for himself by having a prideful attitude and rejecting any kind of constructive criticism his wife might say. This is to say, instead of seeing her suggestions for his good, he just rejects them. That's one option. But alternatively, if they both in that moment choose to live for Christ, his honor above their own, things would look real different. For example, the wife, she's wanting to live for Christ rather than herself. The first thing is, she wouldn't despise her husband like Michael. Nor would she have harsh and critical words towards him. Rather, they would be gentle and loving and covered with humility. Instead of accusing her husband, oh, the terrible thing you did, she would say something like this. She'd say, you know what, honey? I could be mistaken, because I know I, I didn't see everything. But at dinner, it appeared that you, you said something that was fill in the blank, you know, boastful or mean. or I could be wrong, but I just, I know you want to live for the Lord. I just want to bring that to your attention. And then what she does is she entrusts that over to the Lord, knowing she can't change the heart of her husband, but who can? But who can? God. In the same way, likewise for the husband, if he's living for Christ rather than himself, she comes along and she makes a suggestion, he wouldn't get angry or defensive, but instead receive the correction with humility. Indeed, you know what he would do? If he was truly living for the Lord and valued his glory above his own, he would do precisely what Proverbs describes in Proverbs 9, 8, and that's this. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will what? Hate you. Reprove a wise man, and what will he do? Love you. Guys, do you respond to correction this way? Thank you, sweetheart, for pointing that out. I love you. Men, if we are living for Christ, if because all correction humbles us. That's why we don't wake up in the morning like, man, I really hope someone corrects me today. <laughs> I really hope my boss points out all the things I'm doing wrong. Right? No one wakes up in the morning and goes, yay. But if we are living for Christ, if we're following the example that I believe David lays for us here, when we receive correction, imperfectly given or not, we'll look at them and say, thank you, and I love you for doing that. So back to the car ride situation. Okay, let's say something did happen where the husband was in the wrong. If that was the case, he said, to you, you're right, honey, I was wrong. Thank you for pointing that out. By God's grace, I'm going to do better. Now, there's other occasions where the wife might suggest something and you don't see it. You could say the same thing. Honey, thank you so much. You know what? In a moment, I'm not seeing that I did that, but I'm going to have the humility heart. I'm going to pray about it and ask the Lord to show me if this is really the case. What a radically different way to handle that car ride home where the wife is gracious and she's putting on humility, and the husband, he's gracious, and he's putting on humility. And it could go the other way around. It could be the wife could have said something or done something. All this to say, humility exalts God's honor above your own. But then the second thing we see is that humility exalts God's opinion above others. Look again at at Michael there in verse 20. And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants. Female servants one of those vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She, she is, she's imputing motive. She's casting him in the worst possible light. Let me ask you, if, if a person came up to you and said, I have a fever, I have a cough, and I've lost my sense of taste and smell. What would you say that person has? And let me tell you, it's okay to say this word. What is it? COVID, COVID, right, okay, COVID. COVID, that's right, COVID. I don't know, is it me, and I I say it's in humility, but it seems like today, every symptom a person has, it goes back to, oh, you have COVID, right? Scratchy scalp, COVID, right? (laughs) Rash on your feet, COVID. You you sneeze three times? COVID. Am I alone on this? Anyone else? Maybe I'm alone on this. Okay. Well, there is, there is one disease of the soul that really is the cause of pretty much every sinful problem. And that disease is pride. In fact, one of the telltale symptoms of a prideful heart Is an obsession of what others think about you. And that's precisely what we have in Michael. What matters most to Michael is how others view her. In contrast, the person's opinion that matters most to David is God's. This is what he gets at when he says in verse 21 it was before the Lord. And then when he says again at the end of verse 21, I will celebrate before the Lord. David is saying and teaching us that the only audience that matters to him is God. He doesn't care what the servant girls think about him, just the Lord. In his really good commentary on 2 Samuel, author and pastor Tim Chester points out the sharp disparity between Michael and David. Notice in the eyes of Michael... Her perception: David is dishonored because of his dancing, because of his humility. Indeed, even in the eyes of David, he sees himself as lowly in verse 22. But notice, in the eyes of God's people, David is honored because of his humility. We see this clearly in verse 22. And in the eyes of God, verse 21 makes it clear that David is chosen for honor above Saul's family. In fact, David's response there in verse 21, where he reminds her that God chose him to be over his father's family, it's to remind her that he is the one God has has appointed to exalt. And we see the judgment on Saul's house in verse 23 when it says that she had no children. This is to say Saul's house is completely cut off. God's doing a new work, a great work in the house of David. Faith humility exalts God's opinion above others. And I want you just to be honest with yourself for a moment and ask, as I've been asking myself this week, how concerned am I about the opinions and thoughts of others. What matters most to you? When you open up your closet and you start picking out your clothes, why do you choose what you choose? When you go to the mirror, the little decisions of the day what is driving you? How, how great of a factor are the thoughts and opinions of others, your co-workers, your family members, driving the decisions and choices you make? What I'm getting at is this. In your honest moments, are there times where you find yourself being enslaved to the opinions of others? if you're anything like me, on some scale here, you'd have to say yes. There are times that I make choices and decisions where my greatest concern is the thoughts or opinions of someone else. And friend, you know why that is? You know why I have a tendency to do this and we all can have a tendency to do this? It's because at the end of the day, in those moments, we count the opinions of others as more worthy of our devotion than God. We believe living for what others think about us is more worthy of our lives than living for the Lord. Yet what this passage and many others remind us of is that God and God alone is worthy of our full devotion. And this, I believe, is what David is modeling for us here In 2 Samuel 6, one more Calvin quote. Calvin has another great insight, actually some great pastoral advice about how we can actually apply this today. He writes this. He says, therefore, when it comes to honoring God, let us begin in the same way that David was touched. That is to be nothing in ourselves, to recognize that until we are blotted out, God will not have the glory which belongs to him. He's saying until we do away with ourselves in the exaltation of ourselves, we blot that out, we will not be able to give the glory that belongs to the Lord. Faith, pride is relentless focus on the self. And the way that we fight pride is is by focusing more on the Lord, His worth, His glory, His majesty in what He requires of us. To be free from the enslavement of what others think of us, we have to see the opinions of others for what they really truly are. Nothing compared to the worth of our God. Amen? So humility is dignity. Humility is dignity. And you know what? What? this is not the only place in the Bible we see this truth taught. Indeed, is this not precisely what the Apostle Paul teaches in Philippians 2? Concerning Jesus, look, there was no human who has ever trod this earth more dignified than the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no one who acted more appropriately in all settings than the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2? We learned he humbled himself. He had the mindset of a servant. And friend, please hear me. Praise God he did. Otherwise, we'd all be damned in our sins. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ The one who is worthy of everyone to bow down before him. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know why? So that he could save sinful, prideful, self absorbed, self focused people who love the opinions of others rather than God, people like you and me. Our pride comes with a cost. God's telling you to listen right now. Our pride comes with a cost, and that's judgment. And our memory verse says, God is faithful to judge. And the only hope you have, friend, this side of heaven, when you stand before that judge, is not claiming your own righteousness, but the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because our Savior humbled himself to the point of death, we can be saved from our sin. Amen? But this is what you need to understand, friend. You know what you need in order to receive this salvation? Humility. You know why? Because this salvation is received, not achieved. If you can hear my voice right now, you're in danger. And here's the danger. It is very common when the gospel of Christ is gone out, people can have a tendency to be prideful. And You know how they can be prideful? They hear of this salvation, and their first thought is, I need to be better. I need to get my acts together. I need to live a more righteous life. Who's the focus on? Me, my righteousness, my good deeds. You have the temptation to put your trust in yourself, the very pride that damns you to hell. Do not look to your own righteousness. Do not look to your own good deeds. Look outside of yourself to the perfect one, Jesus Christ, and receive his salvation by faith alone. Amen? Friend, have you done that? Don't go another day without it. This is why we frequently say here at Faith Community Church, the gospel is good news. What's bad about what I just said? You're a sinner. You're prideful. Your sin deserves you to be consumed by God's judgment. That's bad news. And that's all of us. But God made provision through His Son, Christ. He didn't make provision through your righteousness, but through the righteousness of another. What is keeping you from putting your faith in Him? If you're resistant, I'll tell you what it is. It's pride. Humble yourself. And to admit you can't do it, but you can only receive it by faith. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, let us commit to walk in humility. You know, the guy who displayed a blank canvas and called it take the money and run, he legitimately thought that was good art. I'm not so sure. But you know what is arguably the most beautiful picture around? Truly, the most beautiful picture around? A married couple who chooses to live for Christ rather than themselves. That is, a husband and wife who in each and every moment choose to live for Christ rather than their own wants, wishes, and desires. For you know what? When a husband loves and leads his wife like Christ loved the church, and his wife joyfully submits and loves his husband... You know what picture they're painting? Ephesians 5 tells us the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something beautiful. May our marriages, may our homes, may our car ride homes display that beautiful picture. Amen? Let's pray.